Hi and hello, Watchfans. Welcome to a very special episode of Fratello On Air. Today we are hosting a Tag Heuer special in honour of the first Dutchman to lift the Formula One Championship trophy, Max Verstappen. Now Max, as well as being a friend of Fratello, is, right now, quite possibly the most visible Tag Heuer ambassador on planet Earth. To discuss how his victory came to pass, we are welcoming our resident Formula One fanatic to the booth. Say hello to Ben Hodges, calling in all the way from merry old England. How are you doing, Ben? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Yeah, good to be here. Good to join you and talk about Formula One, my favourite subject. It's good to have you back. We did have you featuring on an episode of Wasp, which feels like uh, almost a year ago. I guess it was probably six months, but it's a long time past. So it is good to have you back in the smooth booth to hear some more about the tyre shredding antics of these fantastic drivers. That's right. Yeah. So I think it was just over six months ago that we did this. Uh, last time we spoke, I think the... Uh, I think it was the, what race was it? Was it Imola? Um, the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Quite um, possibly, quite possibly. Previously called the San Marino Grand Prix, but they changed the name because it's not technically in San Marino. So it made sense, really. That does make sense. Yeah. Why would you name a Grand Prix after anywhere but the place it's being held? Talking of places that Grand Prix have recently been held, however, we have Abu Dhabi on our sites and we should probably touch on it immediately because it has been, I would guess, the most controversial conclusion to a Formula One season in the sport's 71 or so year old history. What do you make of it, Ben? Why don't you give us a recap of what went down on the track? Oh, it was. I thought it was a brilliant race from start to finish. And at the time, actually, I was uh, recovering in bed from uh, from COVID, so that was quite a nice sort of thing. It was the, probably the first time I'd been sat up on uh, sat up upright uh, for a good couple of days. So yeah, it was nice to nice to have that at least to get me going. Um, yeah, I was uh, enthralled the whole weekend. I mean, uh, going into the race, Lewis Hamilton, the Mercedes AMG Formula One driver, and Max Verstappen of Red Bull Racing were tied on the same amount of points. I think it was, uh, just by memory, 369.5 uh, <laughs> points each, which is, I mean, even before that final race, that was amazing in itself. You know, you'd never see the uh, title contenders come down to the last race on equal points. They're normally sort of, there's a disparity of about a couple of points here and there. But uh, yeah, tied, tied for points, two different teams as well, you know, not even the same team, and the same two drivers or that that would be that would be quite amazing as well i mean this is pretty special because the last time anyone came seriously close to lewis hamilton and threatened him for the title was nico rosberg back in what was it 2016 now i guess yeah that's right yeah rosberg um you know there were some times where Hamilton really sort of uh, took the reins on that one. But Rosberg was pretty strong that year, you know, after back-to-back losses to Lewis Hamilton in 2014 and 2015, where the sort of renaissance of Mercedes really began. That's the thing. So Rosberg was Hamilton's teammate, and I Mm. believe he was quite a fractious teammate. And I believe on occasion in 2016, because he sniffed the possibility of victory, he disobeyed team orders to bow down to Sir Lewis, as he is now, of course, um, having recently been knighted, and went for the win himself. And he got himself that one single championship and immediately retired, which to me is the biggest baller move in Formula One history. Uh, Maybe second only to Nicky Lada surviving that horrendous crash in 1976 that burnt half his face off. That was pretty cool. But second to that is Rosberg just retiring immediately and not giving 
Hamilton a chance to respond. But since then, it's been a walk in the park for the Mercedes team. And Valtteri Bottas, who's a serviceable number two, hasn't really bothered to challenge, I don't think, Lewis at all. But here comes Max. And yeah, what a conclusion. Tell us about it in detail, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, qualifying was pretty strong. So uh, Verstappen got pole on this in this um, in this qualifying session in Abu Dhabi. And then, uh, yeah, everyone was talking uh, before the race that, you know, um, Max is just going to take Hamilton out the first lap. Um, the reason sort of Max was had a little bit of the edge on this one is that although they're on the same amount of points, Verstappen had um, more wins under his belt over the year, over the championship year, which means that if it were to go down to equal points in terms of both drivers were either disqualified from the race or for whatever reason didn't finish in the points, uh, and they f- finished on equal points, then Max Verstappen would still take the championship because he had more wins under his belt. And then, you know, if it came to it that, uh, I'm not saying that this championship year was that, but uh, if there was another season where they had the same amount of points and same amount of race wins, they'd go down to the next uh, position. So second place, who has more second place uh, finishes, and then it's third. And then you can see it just keeps on going, going until, you know, they have to find a winner. There's no chance of finishing on a tie. You can't have two championships in a Formula One championship. So, yeah, the focus was all about, like, what's Verstappen going to do on the opening lap? What's Hamilton going to do? How is he going to respond? Is Hamilton going to be quite tentative and Max is going to be very punchy? That was all the discussion. You know, even the FIA reminded the drivers during the driver briefing um, to play it safe. If there's, if there's any sort of uh, funny business in terms of taking up taking out a championship rival, then they would uh, just delete all their points from the year. And that has happened before in 1997 when... Um, I believe it was Jacques Villeneuve that was going into the championship uh, ahead. And uh, no, sorry, it was Michael Schumacher was ahead of Jacques Villeneuve in the championship. And if if, uh, Michael Schumacher took out Jacques Villeneuve, um, then he would win the championship because Jacques Villeneuve wouldn't score any points. But Michael Schumacher attempted to do it and he sort of ran himself out into the gravel, crashed himself out basically. And Jack Villeneuve still won, and they still deleted all of Michael Schumacher's points because of that. Um, so the precedent were, was already set back in '97, but they reminded the drivers of it in 2021. Although you know it was a bit preemptive because I don't think Red Bull or Max Verstappen would take it that far. You know they have pushed the limits this year, definitely. Uh, both teams have, but I, I I didn't believe they would ever take it that far, which they didn't in the end. Well, I'm glad they didn't because that would have been an absolute shower from a sporting yeah. perspective. And um, I think that Red Bull have pushed and pushed and pushed and uh, driven on the line and sometimes maybe a little bit over it, which I like to see personally. I'm a fan of the way the teams race this this year and uh, mm. don't think that um, the rules have favoured Max at all. I think he's been treated quite harshly. Uh, uh, and I'm saying that not as a Lewis Hamilton fan, but obviously as, as a Brit with many Lewis Hamilton fans uh, in his circle of friends. Uh, I couldn't really believe that Verstappen would drive straight into the back of Lewis and take him out. But it's interesting that they came out and made such a point about those points being deductible should anyone do anything nefarious. I didn't actually know that Schumacher, having attempted to kill Villeneuve in 97, had actually been relegated from his, what would have been second place finish, I guess, to the back of the pack. That is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. He ended up in the season on zero points um, with Ferrari. Yeah. Understandably, weren't very happy with that because those points mean constructors' champion championship points, which 
to a team is actually worth more than a driver's championship because that equals money. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. You know, the precedent had been set in the nineties. Um, we just haven't had as close a showdown as this one. So that's possibly why FIA just wanted to bring that up, but you know, didn't, didn't come to anything, thankfully. Um, but the way the race unfolded itself, uh, was still massively fascinating, if, even if it didn't have two championship rivals taking each other out. So, um, the lap began, uh, the race began with um, Hamilton getting off the line much better than Verstappen, which had been the case for the last for the previous few races, actually. So um, whether the pressure was getting to Verstappen, uh, we're not sure. Maybe it was just the settings of the car. Maybe Mercedes have drastically improved. But um, actually, at the beginning of the year, we saw Red Bull having the advantage on the starts and Mercedes sort of wheel spinning and, you know, not getting the speed up straight away. But yep. Hamilton took the lead straight away um, into the first corner. He was uh, ahead of Verstappen. Uh, Verstappen held in second pretty closely behind Hamilton. Then they came up to turn five, which is the turn directly after the long straight, the longest straight on the track. And um, Verstappen went for quite a, I wouldn't say aggressive. It was a very aggressive but fair, perhaps, um, overtake down the inside on Hamilton. Um, he managed to stay between the lines, uh, Verstappen, but uh, Hamilton was pushed slightly wide. Uh, and instead of sort of coming back at a very awkward angle, he just took the, the straight path right over the the, the runoff um, and then carried on in first place because he hadn't lost too much because he did straight line the, uh, the corner, basically. Um, and they were coming on the radio, uh, Red Bull were coming on the radio saying, you need to give the place back because you kept your place or he kept your advantage whilst not on the track. And they were saying, oh, you know, Verstappen pushed him wide. He had no option. Um, it was already contentious. And to be honest, at that point, every, everyone watching, including the commentators, thought that was going to be the controversial um, aspect of the race. They thought, you know, Hamilton giving the place back should have been should have happened and that, you know, Verstappen should have been uh, able to keep his advantage of making it into the corner and staying on the track. Um, lo and behold, that wasn't the big controversy of the, uh, of the, of the race, but still that was what was being discussed, uh, cause Hamilton was just able to eke out an absolute advantage on the track. He had the power, he had a new engine since Brazil, um, his sixth engine actually, which was, uh, which incurred a penalty of, um, being pushed to the back of the grid at Brazil because he had changed his engine. You're only allowed five, an allocation of five engines per year, five engine changes per year. Um, but he did have uh, uh, an advantage with the power power unit. So he was able to eke out quite a lead um, from Verstappen. Um, and then at that point, it's kind of Hamilton had to sort of play it safe. Whereas Verstappen, you know, they could just basically throw any anything at it. So it's kind of like uh, win it or bin it kind of uh, mentality at that point, because they were on the back foot. All they could do was just try different tactics, different tire changes, you know, to try choice options they could you know try and eke out some time back and see what they can do towards the end um so for a large part of the race you know there was this kind of tactical game and wait and see who's going to do what who's going to change tires first i think red bull pitted verstappen quite early trying to you know see if they can run two sets of tires three sets of tires whatever's needed basically to get towards the end and get closer to hamilton um, so you saw this kind of going back and forth a little bit uh, throughout the race. And then there was a stopped car. I'm trying to remember who was the stopped car now. I believe it was Antonio Giovinazzi of Alfa Romeo. So 
his car, I, I believe it was just a, an issue with the gearbox or the engine or something, but he stopped on track and it required a virtual safety car, which um, <clears throat> a virtual safety car basically just is a safety car without the safety car, <laughs> if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, it's a, a readout on their steering wheel tells them to slow down by, I think it's like 20%, 30% or 40%, some, one of those. Maybe they vary it between the races, but um, basically they have to, go to a certain speed which is slower than normal speed and no overtaking is allowed um and usually in this time they they try to get their pit stops done because you don't lose that much time when you're behind a safety car because the cars aren't going full speed so that's what verstappen did i think that hamilton stayed out because they were always um targeting the track position advantage so you know being first on track is better than uh, pitting with newer tires. That's always where they're focused. And they were able to keep their advantage for a bit. Um, in the later part of the race, Max Verstappen's teammate of Red Bull, Sergio Perez, um, stayed out much longer than Verstappen. That meant uh, his tires were old, but he was still good on track position. When Hamilton pitted eventually uh, and found himself behind Perez, Perez uh, used his track position to his advantage to try and keep Hamilton behind, but also to try and slow him down a little bit so that Verstappen, who was coming up behind him, uh, Hamilton could sort of close the gap a little bit. I mean, at the time, I think they thought there's no way Perez can keep Hamilton behind him for that long because his tyres were so old. But um, Perez, to his credit, he did an amazing job blocking Hamilton, um, repassing him on the straights, getting the slipstream, really slowing down during the slow corners, such as the hairpin turns, you know, doing everything I can. And it, to his credit, it was an amazing job. And not only that, he um, gave Verstappen a bit of a toe, allowing him to do the DRS, which is the drag reduction, reduction system, allowing the, the wing to open so you get a little bit more speed. He was able to do that uh, for Max Verstappen, closing the gap even further to Hamilton. And then, uh, yeah, he was Hamilton. Uh, Verstappen was within a couple of seconds of Hamilton at that point. So very, very good job by Perez. Very good teammate for that purpose yeah he uh he has done some wonderful things for the team and uh the team found themselves in one of the most unbelievably fortuitous situations right at the very end of the race there how did it all wrap up yeah so even with um the job by Perez you know the great job by him um Hamilton was still able to eke out a an advantage over Max Verstappen so Max at this point was uh, closing the gap and then the gap, you know, soon lifted as his tires started going old again. Um, the, the Red Bull generally just wasn't good on tires uh, during the Abu Dhabi race. There had been races where, you know, they were better on tires than Mercedes and vice versa, but especially in Abu Dhabi where it's, it's hot, it's dry, it's long straights, it's wide open. Um, the Red Bull was a lot more greening on the tyres, possibly due to higher downforce on their car. I'm not quite sure what the configuration was um, between the teams, but I believe that was one of the reasons why. Um, so, yeah, again, Hamilton eked out a lead and uh, everyone just sort of, you know, kind of accepted the fact that uh, uh, Hamilton was going to win it and he was going to place first and Ham uh, Verstappen was going to place second, meaning that, you know, overall, Hamilton would win the championship. I mean, he was miles ahead. He was miles ahead. Yeah. And it... Like I say, I, I guess if I had to tell you who I wanted to win before the race, I guess I would have liked to see Max win it in a in a thrilling duel that 
wasn't interrupted in the way this race was towards the end. But um, it's absolutely crazy. I have a, a friend, two friends actually, they're in a relationship. Um, the guy, he is a diehard Hamilton fan, absolutely obsessed. And the girl, she's um, a Max fanatic. She thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. And uh, he looks like he's proved himself to be this time. And they, they actually handle it pretty well. You know, they're not at each other's throats. They're maybe a little bit moody around one another when, when it comes down to crunch time like this. But I, I saw him soon after this race, uh, this debacle of a finish, and he was as crestfallen as I've seen a man since I looked in the mirror after watching the Giants beat the Patriots in, uh, <laughs> to end the, uh, the perfect season. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, if I were a Hamilton fan, which I'm really not, you know, I respect his achievements and think he's a great uh, leader for change, as it were, outside the sport as well as within it. But I mean... What on earth went down there? Yeah, so, um, well, you just mentioned the Giants, by the way. They're not having such a good season this season. Um, same goes for the Broncos, which is my team. Um, but that was just an aside. So, yeah. Um, You've got plenty of championships between you. Four for the Giants, three for the Broncos. That's plenty in my book as a Cardinals fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, back to Hamilton. Uh, I, yeah, I've never seen him like that. And he's uh, he's gone a step further since then. He's uh, deleted... Um, his social media follows or maybe the people that he follows or something like that. He hasn't been uh, seen publicly in a long time, not since his knighthood. Um, and he hasn't posted anything uh, on any of his social accounts. I think he's just gone uh, completely dark in terms of the social media world, which uh, which I think is uh, possibly a healthy thing for him himself just to sort of regain his, uh, his fight and his spirit for the coming season. And, you know, there has been talks about him potentially not returning this season i don't think that's the case i think we will see him return he just needs a just needs a refresh and uh yeah refresh his mind and get back in the game but anyway yeah the way it unfolded was um nicholas latifi of williams racing um i, I don't believe he was fighting with anyone at the time perhaps he'd just come out the pits um Again, he wasn't shown much during the race. The, the cameras weren't really following him too much, obviously with the two title contenders at the front. Um, but we did eventually see him uh, spin off in one of the corners and hit the barriers. And this time it wasn't a virtual safety car simply because of the debris. It, it uh, brought, you know, carbon fibers is very strong, but it's designed to sort of dissipate the energy when you have an impact. Uh, that way the, the energy doesn't go through the driver, it goes through the car. Um, so yeah, there were flakes of carbon fiber and bits of carbon fiber strewn out on the track, which uh, needed a safety car to slow everyone down and ensure that marshals can repair the barriers and also sort of rid the track of any of debris which may cause punches or be flicked off and hit the crowd or the marshals or anyone basically one of the drivers perhaps, um, which is a you know very uh, which is the right decision to do absolutely I wouldn't disagree with that uh toto wolf came up on the radio at the time and said don't give us a safety car because um you're going to wreck the race i think he those were pretty close to his actual words which um you know dumbfounded me to be honest i think safety should always be the priority of the fia you know uh safety car was absolutely necessary yeah well he's a bit of a bad bugger isn't he toto he'll do anything he needs to to win bless him and you know in that moment i don't think christian horner covered himself in too much glory like there was a lot of back and forth on the radio but here's the thing there shouldn't be any back and forth on the radio between the the principles of those teams and the race steward like the rules should be the rules right Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I thought this was uh, one of the worst back aspects of the year, not between the drivers, but between the two team principals um, who have d 
differing personalities, absolutely, but both have a strive to to win, and which is you know commendable. I think it's it's been great entertainment, you know, off track as well. Um, but this race, I think they did not put themselves in much glory. And and Toto's Wolf, Toto Wolf's words around that, wow, that really really hurt me. I mean, the other option I guess they could have had would be to red flag the race, um, which is completely stop stopping the race. Everyone. Uh, goes into the pits. They can change the tires. You know, maybe that would have given given Hamilton the uh, the advantage still, not only having track position but also having a fresh set of tires. Um, but the safety car came out, which is a yellow flag situation, and uh, Hamilton stayed out. He had the option to pit. You know, change tires, put on softs. I believe his hards or medium tires that he was on they were quite old by that point maybe 30 35 laps very very old lap very old tires um whereas uh verstappen came in and changed to softs which are the fastest tire but have the uh, most amount of degradation or the quickest degradation so they lose grip more quickly but they are faster um but considering there was only a few laps left you know it doesn't the longevity of the tires didn't matter. It was all about how fast you were. So he had the option. He took it um, for Stappen. So I thought that was, uh, you know, bold move because it does risk track position, of course, you know. But uh, and, and uh, in this case, it did in a, in a way um, because what um, Verstappen found himself in is behind a bunch of lapped cars which had been lapped by Hamilton. So Hamilton was ahead of lapped cars. Um, I think they were double lapped but yeah uh, and Verstappen was behind them so there was five cars between Hamilton and Verstappen behind the safety car so if there was any going to if there was going to be a last ditch attempt at taking Hamilton it would have been very difficult with all those lapped cars in the way I don't really understand this because I, I know that a lot of the controversy came about for uh, Michael Massey's decision or is fluctuating his vacillating decision should I say um, to either Firstly, not unlap the cars, then unlap some of them, or then unlap part of them. And but he never unlapped them all, right? He didn't end up un- unlapping them all. Um, but what difference should it have made? Don't lapped cars have to get out of the way of someone coming up behind them anyway? They do, but they can only do so much to a degree. I mean, you you know, you're still racing in a race. You're you're not sort of giving everything over to the uh, people at the front just because, you know, they're a lap ahead of you. You do have a um, uh, responsibility to get out of the way. They, they fly blue flags to cars that need to get out of the way for leading cars. Um, but, you know, they're still, when they get to a corner, they can't move over to off the track. You know, there's only a certain amount of space in the corners for two or, two or three cars to fit through. Um, so it would have been more difficult for Stappen. I, I still have the belief that, um, with the long straight at Abu Dhabi, that there was a possibility he could get past five cars, but it's whether he'd get past those cars, get up to Hamilton, and overtake in the in that final lap. That would have been a lot more challenging. So, you know, it would have been um, it would have been very close, but uh, I, I don't think it would have been possible without those lapped cars getting out of the way. That's interesting because I kind of got the impression that it would have been possible because. Verstappen got past Hamilton pretty damn quick. And although Hamilton did make a last-ditch attempt to get by him again, and it looked like it was closer to coming off than I think it actually was, realistically, Verstappen pulled away from him by quite a stretch at the end. And I think, well, what I think, honestly, is if you're going to follow the safety car rules as they did, which I think they did correctly, you've got to give Hamilton a fresh set of tyres. The situation that panned out here has just flagged up a serious flaw in the rule book. Because Hamilton won that race 
he won the race really like who was the best driver on the day that didn't crash it's just a travesty that the way that the uh the safety car fell meant that Verstappen could pit and get new tires and okay yes he lost positions to lap cars that in the end mostly got out of the way of him I mean that would be my ideal scenario like fine give him a one lap shootout in the order that the safety car came out so Whoever is first remains first. Whoever's second remains second. Everyone gets to go into the pits. You get fresh tires. You go out there again. Well, that would have been the red flag situation. That if they all came into the pits and changed tires, that that would have been if they did red flag it. That's what it would would have happened. That's um, what they should have done because yeah. this situation they did do. This is yellow flag, right? This is yellow flag. Double double yellow flag. Yeah. Double yellow flag. All right. I mean, but it's given the title to Verstappen there because he he was never. Unless he made a huge driver oh. error, there was no way Hamilton could have defended on those tires because he'd been. Unless, unless he changed his tires, he did. As I said, he did have the option. There was no nothing stopping Hamilton changing the tires. I mean, they didn't because of track well, there, position. There was because of track position because then, like the the crazy thing is, it favoured Verstappen massively because he didn't giving up track position to him at that point. However, he was almost a minute behind Hamilton, wasn't he? By this point, like when the race was called back. I mean, he, he was never going to catch him. He had nothing to lose. He had to throw everything at it. And he's like, that's not a decision. For Verstappen, it's not a decision because he's not catching Hamilton on flagging tyres. But Hamilton is in a situation where if they both go in, um, what could happen? You know, like could, Hamilton could get stuck behind Gas, could he get stuck behind Perez. If Verstappen stays out and Hamilton goes in, what's going to happen then? You know, like it's... It, it it doesn't seem fair to me. Although I'm kind of happy with the outcome of the race, and I thought the last lap was really thrilling, and uh, couldn't have been better for television. It just leaves a sour taste in my mouth. I agree with what you say, actually, and um, the the words that you said, nothing to lose. That's exactly what uh, Verstappen had. He had nothing to lose. He was already losing. He had nothing to lose in terms of pitting, and that's kind of the advantage you get as a second place driver. You're the one chasing down the first place driver. Yeah, so. but you shouldn't have a. You know, if, if a first place driver has worked their tail off for no, fifty odd laps, racing. well, it should be because you know why. You know why people always criticize motor racing for not being a sport. It's for stuff like this. And in sport, there have to be rules that reward like fairness and endeavor and effort. You can't just like say, no. "Oh, we scratch it." Oh, come on, that's ridiculous. That's not how sport works. <laughs> Don't you know that? You could you could you could lead a a, a race for fifty laps and lose it on the first lap i'm sorry that's racing if you if you crash out on the last lap if someone is, overtakes you on the last lap i'm sorry that's racing it's not about how many laps you lead well no, no, i'm sorry this is not racing this is not racing that's exactly my point the race was not decided by racing the race was decided by nicholas latifi driving into uh, uh, a wall. okay okay let's back up so I, th- I don't think we explained um what happened with the lap cars actually so okay um so the rule state, and this this has been a rule uh, for quite some time now, at least a few years. I can't remember when it came in, but it's been in for for a good amount of time. That allows um, any or all lapped cars to unlap themselves. So basically, they can the the cars that have been lapped can you know regain um, their position. You know, joining the back of the pack, obviously, because they they've been lapped, um, but still be on the same lap as everyone. Now, the reason that rule was brought in was so that the leading cars would not be interfered with. That's why the rule was brought in. And this was a situation where the lap cars would be interfering with the leading cars. So that's why they brought it in. So that's not, there's no controversy around that. That's 
that's a rule that's been there for a while. It's been used, whether it's at the beginning of the race, the middle of the race, the end of the race, it doesn't matter that that's allowed to happen. There is, um, you know, they don't have to allow it. You know, there are some situations where they say, no, you know, all lapped cars, they need to stay where they are, no matter what, if it interferes because of mitigating circumstances, like it's raining or there's a lot of debris. So if they were to unlap themselves, um, you know, they would run into the debris or run into the marshals, whoever's on the track. So, you know, it's, it's, it's at the discretion of the race director to enable it or not. So um, the controversy was they, the race director initially said lapped cars won't be able to unlap themselves, which, uh, you know, everyone Red Bull were like, Oh, I can't believe they decided that. And to be honest, um, Max at that point took it in his stride. He just said, oh, yeah, that's a disappointing decision, but I'm not surprised kind of thing. So, you know, he kind of uh, let go of the fact that the championships. Well, you say he took it in his stride, but it was definitely a low-key, bitchy response to it, and he was insinuating was that he'd been punished all the way it, through. Yeah. And to be fair, the championship should have been gone by that point. And like I say, I'm a Max fan. I wanted him to win it, but at that point, any sort of protestation on his part as if he was to say, I'm the rightful winner of this race would have been farcical. Yeah. Yeah. There was some sarcasm in his voice, but I, I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't say it was um, particularly malicious. You know, he didn't swear. He wasn't particularly sounding angry. He was just kind of laughing it off. I don't think he was laughing, mate. I really don't think he was laughing. I don't think Christian Horner was laughing either. And I feel bad for Jerry Halliwell because when he, well, he got yeah. home that night after that nonsense, he would have been oof, tough to deal with, I think. Yeah, I don't know who would have been uh, spicy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, going back to when, when Toto Wolf was uh, complaining of the safety car, equally, uh, Christian Horner came on the radio to complain about uh, the fact that the cars weren't unlapping themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, it's up to the race director. It's not up to you, Christian, um, I'm afraid. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, at this point, uh, Michael Massey, the race director, uh, took an interesting stance. So the way he was talking to Christian Horner was just like, um, I've, I've got to think about safety. And he's like, wait, wait, hold on. It sounded like he was almost talking to someone else or listening to someone else at the same time. Um, and then the decision came in that only the lapped cars that are between the lead cars, the um, Hamilton in first and Verstappen in second, could unlap themselves. Not all the lapped cars. So there were more than five cars that were lapped in this race. Um, that was an interesting decision. So I, I, from my recollection, I don't think I've ever seen that before, where the, when only a specific amount of cars can unlap themselves, but not all of them. But the rules do state not, it, it says any, any lapped cars. It doesn't say all lapped cars. If it was all lapped cars and they had a set amount of cars that went through that weren't all the lapped cars, I think there would be, you know, a good basis for uh, an appeal by Mercedes, an absolutely solid uh, appeal that would have probably gone through to the courts and probably been accepted uh, and the race results changed. But because the rule said any, which didn't imply all of them, you know, that's where the ambiguity came in. Well, it, it certainly does imply all of them, but it doesn't make it clear that all of them must be unlapped. And I think like yeah. th- th- that adds uh, to the 
brutality of it for Mercedes because it, it's clear that it implies all of them. It is it is clear that it it means for all those lapped cars yeah. to be unlapped. And because it would never been done before in terms of just a select amount of cars, you know, everyone was massively surprised at the situation, and it really did hamper the cars that weren't allowed to unlap themselves. You know, I think Lance Stroll was one of them. He was and Daniel Ricciardo. Both of them were absolutely furious on the radio at the time. They're like, what's going on? This is manipulation. This is stupid. This isn't fair. Um, which, you know, I, I think they were kind of unheard because of all the, the the hype at the front of the pack. But even so, yeah, everyone was massively confused at that. But then straight away, as soon as they unlapped themselves, um, they ended the safety car. Now, usually they allow the uh, lapped cars who are unlapping themselves to go round to the back of the pack before they end the safety car, which would have meant an extra lap. So they would have finished behind the safety car, which would obviously, um, you know, give the advantage to Hamilton, who was already in first. But because they ended the safety car right away, you know, pulled in um, that lap, that meant there was one final lap of racing without a safety car, uh, green flag. And <laughs> what a final lap. I mean... Um, as soon as the safety, I mean, just before the safety car went in, um, Verstappen was, you know, really up close to, to Hamilton. He was yeah, really he passed him blood. at one point, didn't he? he? Passed him at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, they complained it was an overtake, but he, for a microsecond, he was a few centimeters ahead because, uh, yeah, he was just basically jockeying. There was a lot of, uh, accelerating, braking, accelerating, braking, just, you know, playing a bit of chess really between them. Um, so yeah, I mean, he did momentarily pass him but but when the safety car ended when they entered the green flag area they passed the safety car line uh Verstappen was very clearly behind Hamilton so there was no issue there they threw that appeal straight out uh the FIA um but yeah the final lap was incredible so you had Verstappen on new soft tires fast tires Hamilton on old hard tires um and Verstappen took it uh, he took the um took the overtake the dive much sooner than I thought he would, actually, down to turn five, actually. Uh, was it turn three or four? I can't remember. It's the turn just before the long straight, basically, um, which I didn't think was the right place for him to take it. I mean, he took it very early on, which meant that Hamilton did have the potential to retake him on the on the long straight with the power advantage. Um, and down the straight, there was definitely a lot of weaving back and forth, which you're not really meant to do. Um, I didn't think... Verstappen needed to do that. In fact, on the radio, they told him not to, to weave from side to side on the track, you know, trying to break the toe of Hamilton. Um, but uh, yeah, going down to the next corner, 10-5, um, uh, Verstappen was still ahead. He did take the corner a bit wide, though, uh, making the angle a lot more, um, yeah, more like a 90-degree angle. And uh, I think Hamilton had a chance then, and he did. He came alongside him. Uh, but it would have been a, an outside overtake. And with Verstappen having the inside line, he was just able to keep Hamilton at bay. Um, and then the section after that, section three of, of the Abu Dhabi is very tight, twisty, sort of short spurts and you know very sharp corners. So it's really difficult to, to overtake around then. So I think everyone at that point just kind of accepted that, you know, that Max Verstappen had it in the bag, really, unless he did a catastrophic um, gear change or, you know, spun at that point. He basically had it in the bag. There was nothing Hamilton could do. And uh, yeah, he duly took the win and uh, celebrated massively on the radio. And Hamilton was uh, fairly fairly quiet, actually. Um, 
But uh, when he got out of the car, he did congratulate Hamilton when he was being interviewed by, was it David Coulthard or Jensen Button? I can't remember now. Um, One of the ex-drivers. But yeah, he was uh, yeah very congratulating of Max, and he spoke to his uh, Lewis Hamilton spoke to his uh, father, who consoled him. Actually, I think uh, Anthony Hamilton, his father, was was very good at sort of keeping spirits, and he, he also congratulated Max Verstappen as well. Um, and then the fireworks just came out, and they they looked incredible, and you know everyone was kind of jumping for joy for Verstappen. Um, then the the controversy set in. So Toto Wolff didn't speak to the media. He kind of hid up in his uh, his office in the Mercedes um, sort of motorhome. And uh, yeah, he was already claiming he was going to put in appeals um, to them. You know, they put out a message on Twitter and, and uh, Instagram that they were going to appeal the, the results. Um, and uh, there was a long wait between all the, between the end of the race. And when uh, the victor, victor was kind of announced, probably about a few hours actually and may have even gone even longer into the evening but you know Hamilton uh, uh, was pretty quiet at this point but Verstappen was given given the lead given the championship and uh, yeah it was made official I mean it is now history it's in the books Hamilton and Mercedes have slunk off with their tails between their legs and hopefully Sir Hamilton returns next year to win the eighth title that he very much deserves now I have to say um it's a shocker. I'm glad Max got his first win. I'm sure he would have loved to have absolutely battered Lewis on the track and left no doubt about who deserved the trophy at the end of it all. But over the season, he was really the most exciting driver to watch. I think and when we look back on this season, had Hamilton managed to close it out as he so often has done, we still would have been talking about Max and the effort he made in a car that nobody really fancied when the season got going. Um, there you go. Can he do it next year? Can he can he hold Lewis off again? Will we see another four year spell of dominance from Red Bull like we did with Sebastian Vettel? It's going to be a tough one. It wasn't an emphatic win. It was a very very tight close win, and they didn't even win the uh, constructors' championship. So, constructors' championship is the combination of two drivers that contribute to the overall points to a team. Uh, Mercedes still won an eighth consecutive constructors' championship from which started in uh, 2014 to 2021, and um, yeah, they still had that going for them, I guess. Uh, you know, Valtteri Bottas even playing his number two role to Hamilton, he was still able to accumulate enough points to sort of get that constructors. And he was very proud of that. You know, you know, I managed to win my team uh, constructors championship every single year I drove for them. So, you know, that, that's something for him to be proud of, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, next year it's for, you know, uh, there's going to be a few um, rule changes next year. So they're allowing uh, wheel covers next year. Um, so, they, they used to have wheel covers before. Basically, it it's, uh, goes over the rim of each tyre and allows more streamlined um, airflow. Um, they had this in 2008 and then banned it in 20, 2009, and now they're bringing it back uh, for next year. I think they're really ugly. They just look horrible. Um, they don't look like real you know, road car tyres, road car rims at all. They don't look like production cars. Um, but, you know, they are faster, so let's see how that goes. Uh, they also have different wind configurations. They're trying to reduce the amount of downforce the cars make, um, make them smaller so that there's less turbulent air coming off the back of the cars, allowing for closer running of cars, even without DRS. 
Um, but let's see how that goes because aerodynamics are yeah, <laughs> sticklers for finding downforce where they shouldn't be. Um, so I don't think that's going to last very long before they, uh, the techies get their hands on it. But um, yeah, we'll see. Well, it sounds very interesting. I'm sorry to hear they're ugly. So let's not dwell on ugliness. Let's turn our attention to much more attractive things. And we'll leave the racetrack behind after that very dramatic conclusion to the 2021 Formula One season. And let's talk about Red Bull's favorite watch brand, Tag Heuer. And how about you tell me your favorite Tag Heuer watches from the current collection, if you would be so kind? Well, ever since uh, the racing from this year, I've been really enamored by the uh, Tag Heuer Monaco Titan. Um, So this is the watch seen on Max Verstappen's wrist for the majority of the year when he's celebrating on the podium or whether he's uh, uh, having an interview in in the paddock. You don't see them wearing the watch uh, in the cockpit, but you do see them quite a lot when they're out of the cockpit. Good grief. Um, so it's yeah. worked. Ambassadorships actually work. You have been turned onto a watch because of Max. Amazing. Well, it makes sense for him because it's uh, it's a big watch. It's a noticeable watch, but it's a lightweight watch. So, you know, he's not going to feel it when he's waving his arms, gesticulating about how a, a race went and, you know, how he is able to overtake someone. But it's a very obvious watch. You know, it's very clear what it is. You can tell by the iconic square shape of the uh, of the monaco um and the configuration i think is very racy it's very punchy you've got the gray dial you've got the black sub dials the reds second hand i really like that actually i think it's a it's a nice looking watch but i hadn't paid too much attention to it before before that so yeah it does absolutely work if it's worn by someone you respect and you, you admire and you you watch frequently um eventually it does get into your mind that this might be an appealing watch the other um, sort of tag hire I've been interested in is the Carrera. So this is uh, for a long time been one of my favorite sort of chronographs in the in the racing world. You know, they really started around the racing time in the 60s. Um, but the, uh, the Carrera that uh, I really like at the moment is the sport chronograph version. Uh, so this is a, a watch that came out fairly recently. I think it was uh, 2020, 2021. Um, and it, uh, it's just a really lovely watch. It's got the... Well, it's, it's the Hoyer 2 movement, but it was previously known as the uh, CH80 movement, which was a, um, a, a movement they had in prototyping for a long time, which eventually got shut down and then brought up again. Uh, and uh, yeah, we finally get to uh, enjoy that kind of chronograph movement. It's previously been seen in the Ortavia as well uh, and other watches. Um, yeah, it's just a you know solid chronograph. It's It's got that racing credential, but it's not overtly racing so it doesn't have sort of i don't know checkered flags on the dial or something like that uh it could do but uh yeah i just like it with the sort of the black on black dial black sub dials with the black bezel uh bold tachometer scale uh and the date at six i really like i'm really starting to like date windows at six o'clock on chronographs um i'm wearing it um a watch at the moment the the brightling chronomat which has the date at six o'clock as well i think it's a really discreet way to hide it um without having the sort of awkward off-balance 4.30 date window. So I really, really appreciate it on, on this kind of watch. If you're going to have a date on a watch, which, uh, to, to you know, to their credit, I, I use one as well. Uh, I use a date quite frequently. I have to write dates when I sign things quite quite a lot, and having it on my wrist is a, a massive convenience to me. Um, and it's um, it's a perfectly serviceable watch. It's 5,450 euros. So, you know, uh, you get a lot of watch um from Tag Heuer, a chronograph from Tag Heuer, you know, five, just over 5,000 euros is, uh, is a very, very good price. I think uh, it's a lot of watch for the money. 
I have noticed that uh, a lot of modern Tag Heuers, in my mind, they do pack quite a punch for the money they retail for. Now, they're not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but Tag is a brand name, or Tag Heuer, should I say, that has like such such roots in the industry that people might often expect to pay a little bit more than you're asked to for something as complicated as a chronograph, and especially with such nice movements inside them as well. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, I mean, the brand benefits from the fact it's part of the LVMH group. So just like the Swatch Group brands or the Richemont Group brands, they benefit from the economy of scale. So they do get very good stuff inside them, and they get to share the research and development from other brands in different ways. Uh, so you, you are expecting to get a good value product, but it does surprise me sometimes because a lot of the focus with tag in the in the marketplace is on the ambassadors, and that takes away from the watch for me. And while in this case it's definitely worked for you with Max uh, being such a fan of Formula One as you are, uh, it is it is rare for me that the watches actually come up smelling of roses when they go under scrutiny. Yeah, that's right, absolutely, and. Um... Uh, you mentioned my sort of fandom of, of Max there. I'd just like to stress that I wouldn't say I have any driver affiliation uh, for, I guess. Um, you know, I'm kind of agnostic to uh, racing drivers and their um, countries they hail from. Um, you know, you would have thought me being a Brit that I'd be a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. And uh, in the past, I was. I was very much egging him on during the 2007-2008 season. Um but I do like sort of seeing a variety of different winners. I do like to see other people taking championships and, and race wins and no matter who, who that may be. So, yeah, it is true. I, I do have um, a bit of an affinity for Max Verstappen at the moment due to some of his uh, his racecraft. But, you know, not always. You know, sometimes he's a little bit more aggressive uh, than I would like. But, uh, yeah, going back to the watches, another um, tag Heuer that, uh, that's always taken my fancy is the Otavia. Um, Specifically, I, I like the Tag Heuer Tavia they did in 2017, which was the um, uh, re-edition of the 1966 model. Um, if you remember, Rob, there was a competition back in either it was either 2016, I think it was actually, um, that JC um, Jean Claude Biver put out to choose the next Otavia or choose an Otavia to um, do a reinterpretation of. And the contest was quite a you know, very hands-on one, actually. There was, um, it, was, it was almost like a tournament. So you, you got two watches fighting off a bit like one of our tournament, tournaments, actually, like uh, March Mania or Summer Splash, um, where you have watches facing off each other until you get down to the last two. And eventually it was the um, reference 2446 Mark III, or Tavia, from 1966. That was famously uh, worn by the Austrian Formula One driver, Jochen Rindt, who drove under the German flag. Um, he, uh, that, that's the watch that uh, it was based on. And, you know, 2017, we finally got to see that watch, or at least that sort of modern reinterpretation of that watch, which had the Hoyer 2 movement, the previously the CH80 movement. And uh, I thought it was a, a very nice looking watch. It was much more bold and bigger than the original. Uh, the bezel was quite big and it had the date window at six, um, but it still maintained the aesthetic, which was really nice. Uh, but I'm uh, surprised to learn that the uh, watch is no longer available, or at least, you know, it's not uh, present on the website anymore. Um, in, in fact, you know, there's only a handful of Chronograph Otavia models left now. And uh, that just leads me to the uh, uh, belief that potentially we're seeing something new coming up or there might be some 
uh, a refresh of models from the Otavia range, but I'd love to see more more options from Otavia in the chronograph format. That's good to hear. And could you tell me which Formula One team would benefit from having the Otavia watches that you like so much on their wrists for 2022? So who should Tag Heuer approach in the paddock to be their next ambassador? Well, I mean, you, you, Tag Heuer already sponsored Red Bull, so I would see... Um, uh, Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez continue to wear their Tagore models. I think, um, you know, Max's preference for the the Monaco is probably just out of necessity, um, the fact that it's lightweight. So perhaps if we were to see more Otavia models um, from next year or perhaps the year after, they would come in a diff- different assortment of materials. So, you know, we've seen steel as a very sort of popular model, but I'd like to see what a, a titanium Otavia would look like, or um, even a ceramic one. You know, we see from LVMH, they do uh, uh, experiment with different materials, uh, especially from ceramics in, in Hublot. So it would be good to see that sort of uh, that knowledge, I guess, shared between them, and perhaps we see some interesting materials. So they, they also do um, uh, forged carbon. A forged carbon Otavia would look fantastic. I mean, there is a, um, a PVD or DLC coated Otavia uh, flyback chronograph available uh, in all black case and in, in some way it does it very good but it'd be nice if the material itself was had that inherent darkness to it that blackness to it uh, rather than just being a coating so yeah i'd love to see um what would come of that if they did a forged carbon or tavia and i think uh either max verstappen or sergio Perez would wear it well i mean sergio Perez from his mexican background you know vibrant colors obviously from the dia muertes um, festival it'd be good to see sort of a vibrancy infused into the into the dials there i know um tag hoyer work closely with uh, bamford watch department and they often they often do these sort of crazy dial combinations there so uh, perhaps there's a, an avenue there to see a bamford tag hoyer on the wrist of a formula one driver that'd be fantastic i think that would be awesome wouldn't it i think that that is something that we should push for we should talk to tag and try and get them involved in that project we should probably tap up a couple of drivers next time we get to go to an event which i'm sure you're looking forward to i certainly am as well oh yeah let's leave it there for now what a wonderful season thank you for joining us again in the smooth booth ben it was a pleasure to have you back and to listen to you talk always with such passion about your favorite sport and i hope to catch up with you soon thanks rob